2: So, uh, vaccines. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, uh, I'm not an anti vaxxer but I am uh, increasingly falling into the camp that might be mistakenly labeled it if uh, lack of subtlety were applied to my thinking. So, which it will be. Which it will be. Yep. It's already too late. <laughs> it's
3: already right too late. right now. You've already
2: <laughs> dug your own grave. No. So I have not. I've not gotten the vaccine. I had. I had COVID in December. I've worn a mask when I've gone places. I really haven't. I mean, California just opened up three days ago, and mm-hmm. I was uh, on an airplane in a mask, and then. At, at a wedding, not in a mask with my family, who was predominantly vaccinated. Um, so those, that's the most exposure that I've had. Mm-hmm. Uh, in any event, the vaccine thing is interesting because what I have planned for later today is to go get an antibody test, which will tell me if I have the immunity to fight sure, COVID. Sure, sure. Makes sense. I can, at the same place, get a COVID test, which will tell me if I have active coronavirus. Right. Those two tests together, and correct me if I'm wrong if you're out there and you're a scientist and I'm misunderstanding things will tell me if I have coronavirus and if I am possibly contagious. But I cannot at our gym. And, sorry,
4: and also if you
2: have natural immunity to it, it from having been sick. Yes, which which will deplete over time. Same with the vaccine. Same with the vaccine, yeah. Uh, if I provide that to our gym, which is now saying that you need vaccine cards to go in, and by the way, this is not a private decision by a private business. This is a publicly mandated California thing if you want to enter into most establishments. Uh, they won't let me in with that. Mm-hmm. And we'll say that I'm
4: anti-science <laughs> if I don't get the vaccine. And I yeah. think it's... Well, I think the even, the stranger part to me is like, that's true if you had COVID a month ago as well. And we all agree that there is some level of natural immunity that occurs when you get COVID, any, right? For yeah, some yeah, period of time. Sort of viral Last vaccine. I looked, which I, I don't remember when this was, it was like a 0.6% infection rate. And I don't know what, over what period of time that is, yeah. but I'm sure it was over longer than a month. So if you had COVID a month ago probably lower than a 0.6% chance that you can get it even if you are exposed to the virus by talking to someone who has it mm-hmm. but even if you show them you had it a month ago that is not going to cut it it needs to be a vaccine card so yes it, we have we aren't necessarily interested in are you immune do you have the antibodies it's you, have you done the vaccine we've lost the
2: thread like the the god is becoming get vaccinated and not don't be dangerous it, that it's it's uh disturbing to me because the other i, I wonder when does this stop like it's, it's not going away. We've, we've effectively eradicated the, the vaccines that are mandated in order to go to public schools. They do come back when some people don't get their kids vaccinated measles, uh, rubella, mumps, all that kind of stuff. But it, I can't imagine a world in which COVID is not just a circulating. Of course, thing, it'll be like the flu. Like the flu. So are we going to have forever private businesses mandated by the government that you must check vaccine cards and the, they expire after six months to a year forever? Mm.
4: Like what? What are we doing? What is what is the plan here? Well, and the thing I think is interesting is how. And I think it's it's new, and also it hit the world very hard. But it's it's a very unique to COVID type thing because, like, I used to train MMA, and that involved. Well, I was on a a fight team, not just showing up for classes. That involved training where people would get bloody noses sometimes, or have cuts from scrapes from grappling or whatever. And no one ever had to show that they didn't have active HIV. So you could just walk in with HIV, not on meds to suppress it, get punched in the face, be bleeding on the ground, have a cut on your arm while we're grappling. And no one would know. It just wasn't mandated. Nobody told you that you had to share that. And I'm sure there are private gyms that ask for, you know, there's there's probably a gym somewhere in America that says, hey, this is a private thing that we do and you need to have. The only time I ever heard about it was before an actual fight. Mm -hmm. Before you were going to be Paid to fight, ah. then you would have to get the test. But I'd never heard of that for a gym, which is totally fine. But it's just interesting to me because, like, certainly we would argue that that's more risky. Now, what I think the argument would be is it's rarer, right? Like, but not a lot of people. Do you need,
2: if you add up all the things you don't need to be tested
4: for, like flu, pneumonia, you, know, like there's, you just didn't need any tests. Before COVID, there were things that were dangerous. You didn't need any tests to go do anything. We didn't need to mitigate the
2: danger of everything that could hurt or maim or kill a person. You were allowed to go fight
4: someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Encourage. You
2: didn't need. You're allowed to go get punched in the face. Uh, it is It is strange. I think COVID is being treated like, to a degree, the the arguments that I hear for it treat it like it's the, one of the only things that kills people. Like we're elves that could sail off into the into the West, if not for COVID, ending our lives short. So we just have to do everything that we can to make sure that it doesn't kill anyone. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm just surprised. There were communicable diseases that killed people before this. We accepted a level of risk when we went out. If you
4: wanted the flu vaccine, you were allowed to get it. Uh, Well, I think the math has totally changed now that there is a vaccine. Because before there's a vaccine, we don't know what this is. We've never encountered it before. I mean, at some point, we don't know how deadly it is even, right? So you obviously, you treat it with the more uncertainty you have, the more caution, i'm speaking very specifically about a point in time but i'm saying right now it's like if you're if you're worried about it you can get the vaccine that that changes a lot of things versus pre-vaccine it's like well you're endangering people who don't feel safe and have no means of protecting themselves Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying yeah of course of course um
2: yeah the the only possible thing is immunocompromised people who cannot get the vaccine are endangered it's it as I was thinking about this, I was like, you know, one of the things that I have appreciated because it doesn't affect me, but I, as I reflect on it, it's like, is not necessarily a place that I want the government stepping in because it's like this, is with banning smoking in private establishments. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't smoke, I think, in California restaurants. And as I reflect on it, I'm like, if I'm a business owner, and I own a restaurant, and I'm a smoker, and I want a smoking section, why the fuck can't I? <laughs> yeah, like, can't my, can't, can't the citizens make decisions for themselves yeah you're saying if you don't want to sit and smoke just don't go to that go restaurant. to a different restaurant yeah. yeah and if you're a private gym by the way and you want to mandate that people have vaccines and you're not interested in any antibody test i think that that that's fine well yeah, you it's know, your it's your like, house you can do i think exactly. you can do
4: whatever you want you can make whatever what my problem is
2: very specifically with the uh blanket mandate that every private establishment that is basically indoors in california must have a vaccine test and that an antibody test and negative pcr test doesn't substitute That to me feels like comply. Um, And if people are curious why I don't want to get it, the reason that I don't want to get it is the risk reward in my category leads me to not want it. Like I had COVID. It was a, for me, a three-day sickness. It was not horrible. Uh, I understand that a lot of people when they get the vaccine, they get like a one or two-day sickness that is very similar (laughs) to that. So I'm not, like I don't want it. Again, I prefer to not have COVID or the vaccine uh, abbreviated COVID. And additionally, uh, I know that a lot of people say these things are safe, which I believe that clinical clinical trials have, you know, gone through and I don't doubt that. I just know that no one has had these for 20 years. And you and I have talked like things that were safe when they came out and then 20 years later were determined to get to increase your risk of cancer. The list is so long. I don't want to play, but like you were saying, I don't know if this is true and I don't want to repeat it. Did doctors uh, prescribe smoking at one point? You yeah, You were yeah. telling me? Is that true? Yeah.
4: Well, either doctors or psychiatrists, like, yeah, cigarettes were a thing that we were given for either anxiety or some sort of physical ailment it was uh you'd go to an expert and they would give you the suggestion to smoke cigarettes sure and we can you know
2: asbestos was used to to insulate things and you know there's all these things that that have no problem in the
4: first yeah sure i mean we only know plastics (laughs) should be bpa free because we were drinking out of plastics that had BPAs for a while. And then people said, oh, these are actually making people sick. And for what it's worth, like, there's always this
2: cascading thing. Like, we find out that sugar causes diabetes. So we start with high fructose corn syrup, which we find out is worse. And then we give you, like, and, and Sucralose. Like, so far, sucralose. And so far, that's fine. It's like, in 15 years, we'll know that sucralose does yep. <laughs> something bad. And there's something in this that isn't a BPA that isn't good for you Yeah, me. yeah. And this, uh, by
4: the way, it yeah. actually isn't to say that the vaccine has any consequences. It's just to say. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, anyone who wants it can get it. And if we don't feel like getting it, it's not, I don't think it's an insane, uh, like tea party position. Yes. Uh, though it is
2: often, I feel like represented as such yeah, yeah. and especially I'm going like I'm, I'm going this afternoon to get my, cause truly, if I don't have antibodies, my, my personal calculation changes because i I really don't want to get sick i did not enjoy Mm -hmm. being sick so i'm going do i want the guaranteed where they inject me or and you don't want to
4: get other people sick but if you have the antibodies then it's like having the vaccine you are you're just as likely to not transfer it because you have immunity which is what we're solving for
2: and so if i come back negative for antibodies i I may very well go get the vaccine like i'm I'm not saying that this is going to kill me i just think that it is uh, a, a very high likelihood of a short illness And a very small likelihood of long-term, very, very small, uh, of long-term some things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and given that I don't necessarily need it to protect others or myself, I don't want to have to get it. But they are, and then the concern is that I mentioned earlier, but it's like, when does this
4: stop? If you had kids, would you give them- the other standard yeah, vaccines th- yeah 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 because uh, they've been around for longer so you feel like there's more data on if
2: well, those it's also yes I'd, I'd one i'd probably look them up because I'd, i've never had to make this decision in the past mm-hmm. and i and i do some reading but my sense is that um that kills kids at like a, a not having the vaccine yes yes yeah. at a higher level than um covet is killing healthy 33 year olds and to be clear if, if you're not a healthy 33 year old the vaccine is there so that healthy 33 year olds do not kill you and i'll wear a mask on an airplane and all that other kind of stuff um so yeah it just feels it's also like if i don't know if my kid had if my kid had measles rubella and mumps uh antibodies i don't know that i'd rush to get them <laughs> the, the the vaccine mm. right like i'm under the impression they come into this world without that right right uh which is not the case that I find myself in right now. So it's a very particular disagreement that I find, but I think there's a lot of people in my situation that have had it and uh, are just not being accounted for. And I think it's I think it's it's disturbing the the rhetoric around it and the demands to comply and the government stepping in in such a big way. And I as I was thinking about smoking, I'm like, I hate smoking. I don't like it. I wouldn't want to go to the restaurant that smelled like smoke from the other section. Mm-hmm. But I think people need to be allowed to do things <laughs> that the government doesn't think are good for them, you know? Um, so that's my that's my vaccine stance. I'm curious if uh, if I got anything wrong, if I'm misunderstanding that I'm not, you know, my antibodies are somehow significantly different than
4: well, I think the biggest counter argument would be that it's not just a decision for you, right? It's a decision about the disease and the spread of the disease. But I think if you have the natural antibodies that should have the exact same effect as having the antibodies from the vaccine. What I'm suggesting is that I produce for these establishments an antibody
2: positive test and a negative PCR test that says I don't have COVID and I'm immune. Sure. Why do I need a vaccine? And if you tell me that I do, I go. This is this is disturbing to me. Like right, unless right. unless I'm misunderstanding the science, um, this is that would then become the anti science position to say no. You have to follow this particular course of action that is now divorced from the outcome that we want, which is to not get sick and to not get other people sick.
3: I Uh, just, I just looked it up a little bit. So basically what the science says is that the reason you get the vaccine is because your antibodies produced naturally will only cover like a handful of variants. Whereas the vaccine will cover a much wider range. Got it. So I don't know if that changes your mind, but
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I'd have to, I'd have to, to understand it how long i guess i guess my understanding of everything is that there's a a lifespan right like the vaccine does not last forever correct mm. so that a vaccine that is 8 months old and a antibody from a naturally born covid that is 1 month old you might be better off with a 1 month old having had covid i guess the point is that we have this like vaccine god and it is it there's no nuance yeah. admitted into the conversation which is like if i just got over covid and you had a vaccine eight months ago, who's
4: safer? Or if you had a vaccine 12 months ago, or, or, or I don't sure. know. Um, well, the vaccines, I mean, unless it's different than the flu, it also won't cover all the variants, right? Because that's the flu shot. We just guess what variant right. it's going to be that season.
3: Yeah, the vaccine never really wears off. The variants just get too varied. Mm-hmm. And then we just develop a new one and whatever.
4: But Yes, yes. That's my,
2: that's, that is my basic understanding, is that it mutates over the course of time. And we have the rough period of a year where we say, okay, probably time to get something else
4: but they get it wrong with the flu sometimes right you just get a vaccine and then it's it's just not the flu that they have that year and so you get the flu anyway mm-hmm. so i would be curious how covid uh how the pharmaceutical companies i guess who de- to design this are going to deal with covid variants when it comes like if they can do if they can do better than they've done with the flu shots
2: mm-hmm. well another thing and we don't need to talk about it but i'll just refer people to it um that has made me and i've been i think skeptical not of science of humans uh, and some of whom are in scientific professions. <laughs> uh, there's a really interesting podcast on uh, Dark Horse with Brett Weinstein and I forget the doctor's name who was big on ivermectin um, as a as a treatment for
3: COVID. And this he's, might get us taken down. You think so? I don't know.
2: I, I can't even say that. Are you
3: not allowed to say the word ivermectin? I don't. I think people are getting taken down for just saying it. I can't remember <laughs> if it's here or.
2: Uh, or I'm going to say though. it. Take me down. I think All there's right. a podcast that guys. if if that gets me taken down, I will be flabbergasted. Check out the Brett Weinstein podcast. That's what I'm going to say. Uh, if that if that gets me taken down? Well, I'm confused. I'll so be he
4: flabbergasted. He is a doctor who's claiming that this medicine helps uh, relieve COVID symptoms, right? Are they taking him down because they disagree with his research? Because I thought he just had a bunch of peer-reviewed research published. I don't... Th- I mean, that's
2: what he talks about in the podcast. And so,
4: so sorry, but YouTube's position is that they think his research is bad science. YouTube's position is that the CDC
2: is, is uh, your Lord and Savior. And if they don't say it's the case, then... You can't say it. It's disturbing. Honestly, they talk about it. And the fact that we all just got a little bit panicked in here because I well, said Well, I'm not panicked
4: because I don't mind. <laughs> say it, dude. Say your, say your shit. The That's worst it. thing they That's do it. is they take it down.
2: Oh, no, no. I And I don't want to overstep my my understanding of it, which is just to refer you to that thing. I, th- I found it interesting to listen to. Uh, they, they have this exact conversation. They have a minute 30 preamble. We're like, YouTube, this is a doctor. He is doing peer-reviewed studies. Do not
4: take this down. They still got to take Dr. it down. Is it Dr. Robert Malone?
2: Uh, I don't know. Um,
4: Inventor of M... RNA vaccine technology uh, from June 11th. I I
2: think if you type in Ivermectin Brett Weinstein you'll find the podcast. I could look at his face to see if that's him. Um he's kind of a what's the word? He's like burly in in stature. In any event, we can
4: continue. Oh, here we look. go. I googled Inver- Ivermectin Brett Weinstein and the first thing's of VICE article. Why is the intellectual dark web suddenly hyping an unproved COVID treatment?
2: It's, and again, it, I'm not saying that it's, it just check it out. It's interesting. It's, I guess he was uh, just on Joe Rogan. To listen to. What's, what's fascinating to me is how how um, confident in science so many journalists and people at YouTube are. Oh, I think it's Dr. <laughs> Pierre Corey. Yeah, that sounds about, that sounds more correct. Dr. Pierre Corey. That sounds more correct. That's him. I haven't seen it. Yeah, it was just interesting to listen to. Um, it, it might not be true. It was an interesting listen. Um, I want to read this Vice article now. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't want to read Vice articles; they rot your brain. All right, I got more stuff. You ready? Yeah, go for it. So, I'm just gonna quietly read while you talk. <laughs> You'll like this one, I think. So, there is a. It came out there was an investigative thing in Britain that Amazon. Is destroying products at their factories. Something like 130,000 products at one factory per week are being destroyed by Amazon. Okay. And I thought this was interesting because this is one story that, beyond the headline, I have some insight into because I know a lot of friends who do FBA. And it's like, well, I used to do FBA.
4: Used to do A lot FBA. of it didn't work out. A lot of it didn't work out. They had to destroy their products, which yeah, is yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. going to say. Um, it's so For people it's, who don't know, sorry, I don't I don't mean to interrupt you, but FBA is that was like the trend of make money online, live on the beach. You know those photos where someone's sitting in the sand with their laptop? Like that dream was fulfilled by Amazon. It was the idea that you could, with no effort, skill, or added value on your part, take a product from China, sell it on Amazon. Never take inventory. Don't innovate to make the product good. You don't have to be this isn't true. This is what's the promise. You don't have to be a particularly good marketer. You just take a product from China, put it on Amazon, and then start cashing checks from the beach. That was the promise of like three years ago.
2: And to be clear, that was one way to do FBA.
4: FBA just means fulfilled by Amazon. Which oh, yeah, you can you do it. You can I, make I, your own product and have Amazon fulfill it. I you know, know like, a guy who yeah. does it with, um, oh my God, I forget what they're called. He creates the suit that you put on to go sit in a swamp with a rifle if you want to oh, paintball the or suit, hunt. the, the gilly gilly suit? suit. <laughs> he makes ghillie suits, and they're super expensive, but he sells them on Amazon <laughs> and makes a killing. And he And they're... His ghillie suits, you yeah. know, what I mean, they're not just from yeah. a, they're not chintzy little plastic things from a factory. Mm. But uh, I think the uh, the dream which people bought into was this idea that it was easy, required no skill, required no value added, required no nothing basically, oh, except yeah. for that you're in on the secret. So that was that's why there was this surge in FBA, yes, which has subsequently gone away because people found out. It's actually kind of hard and you need to. Hasn't gone away
2: totally. What they're saying now is Amazon automation. Like the promises, I'll get to the story, but the promises of free money are you know just are just they they must grow exponentially. Before it was like you set up your own product. Now it's like you send me ten K, I'll set up your product and I'll you'll just cash checks. It's it's absurd. Well they have to move
4: you have to move the offer though, because the offer doesn't work. And so then people get wise to that. So then you have to change your offer for how to be how to be an entrepreneur with no effort or risk of failure. Like the way you deliver that has to move over time because everything you offer isn't actually effective. And so people get wise to that. So then you need to shift your uh, offer. I call
2: this the mechanism in marketing, which is like people have wanted the same things for a long time. Like we all want to be attractive, but you constantly have to shift the mechanism. So like it's the Bowflex one day, then it's like the ab squeezer one day, then it's something else because people- have that desire and they still
4: want it to be immediately fulfilled without effort. They buy your pills that don't work and they buy, and the they buy your boat that, don't, bikes so you that doesn't to, work you just and they got then,
2: more mechanisms, more mechanisms.
4: Yeah. Um, so the mechanism for getting rich with no effort so you could live on the beach was for a while FBA. Yes. So
2: the, the, this comes out and it's like I mean, as Amazon's like this is a non-story. Amazon this is just written on their website like this is the terms they have. If you want us to we will ship you back your product at cost to you which we've held in our warehouses, or you can pay a lesser fee
4: and we'll dispose of it for you. Right. Because like, basically you were trying to sell rubber band bracelets. It didn't work out. and You want to shut down your business, but we have a thousand rubber band bracelets <laughs> yeah. that belong to you that yeah. we're storing.
2: Well, so <laughs> It's just funny because the story is like, it's like somebody, uh, who, Chuck E. Cheese, which was, I don't know if it's still around, is, you know, found out that kids were throwing uh, like ball pit balls at each other and it's like breaking news yeah. like kid tells another child with chuck, the e. Cheese, chuck e cheese chuck cheese throws out stale pizza at the end of the yeah, night yeah yeah it's like what what are you of course this yeah. has been happening so the fact that it's a, a leaked investigation i just thought it was such a funny framing because this is everyone knows this this is, yeah, yeah, this is on not their secret on their website secondarily uh people just the people's concept of numbers uh is of course we have none. We, we have no, no relative scale. Is 130,000 products out of single factory a lot or a little compared to what? Like, yeah, yeah. It just feels like a lot of yeah. products. Uh, but who knows how many it is. I don't know if it's the case, but I know that of the people that I know, so many disposals, so many disposals. And if you think of the things that we've had people selling, a single person could liquidate 1,000 or 2,000 products like that. And mm-hmm. these are not big sellers like, oh, my uh, – like food saver bags didn't work out. There goes two thousand food saver bags this week,
4: which you paid ten cents for. So, yes. from them, it's like, oh, I paid two hundred bucks for yeah. these. Just get rid
2: of them. Just burn them. And so they incinerate them. Um, and it's not good. It's it's an indictment of the consumerist culture. It is all these things, but it is not unique to Amazon. <laughs> this is what businesses and people do. Like every well, time you eat dinner and don't eat your whole meal, you are participating in the same cost benefit analysis.
4: I've always disliked this for the when you get physical spam mail yeah it has always bothered me that they don't have to pay for the costs that they externalize so mm. they print coupons and they mail them to you and you don't want them and you call them and you say please stop and the next month they do it again anyway yeah. and you just can't get them to stop and you have to throw it out or recycle it at which when a recycling plant has to pay money to transform it into something else mm-hmm. or else it just fills a landfill and it's like this company can only do this because they aren't paying for all this downstream cost that they create by flippantly mailing people that don't want what they're sending. That's an that's an interesting thing.
2: Like if you think of what a mailbox and even an email has become, it's you have to pay to send it there with physical mail, but you should almost have to pay for the space in that individual's mailbox. Like I don't want your crap in my mailbox. I've always thought this was
4: bullshit because of how hard it is to get them to stop. Yeah. Like you I've told you not to. You are mailing me garbage that I don't want, that I don't remember (laughs) signing up for. And now I have to dispose of it. You didn't sign up. And then a company- You didn't sign up. You have an address. Exactly. Yeah, so so I'm unsolicited getting garbage sent to me that I don't want and you won't listen to me when I tell you to stop. And then I have to give someone else the garbage that they then have to pay to get rid of and you don't bear those costs. So to you, it makes sense to keep sending garbage randomly to every address in the world Mm -hmm. because some of them become customers and the ones that don't, not my problem. Yeah, yeah, it's cheap enough. It's it, always it, to buy paper in bulk is is cheap. Yeah. Um, no, that
2: should. Yeah, that's capitalism has lots of problems with externalities for sure. This particular one, I my my take was that Amazon gets beat up on for things that we demand Amazon do and that we all participate in at our own scale. Probably mm-hmm. relative to Amazon, I would bet that Amazon. This is just a guess. Has more programs to redistribute uh, the stuff that they don't use than most Americans like who just throw out junk when they don't want anymore, it, yeah. whatever they don't want. Like, and some people will take it to goodwill and, and this some people also
4: just hoard that stuff. Yeah, in yeah, the
2: basement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they just, they just bear the costs <laughs> of storage, but it was, it was just interesting to have a little bit of knowledge and see some of the comment outrage and you go, this is, this is being funded by a bunch of one people on FBA and, uh, that, that create products that, that can't be sold and other weird... Regu- this was another thing. We, at the convenience stores where we grew up, they would, like, throw out food at the end of the night and mm-hmm. we would ask, and there was regulations because the food could be spoiled. So there's these weird incentives. Oh, you couldn't. I tried. They, you, they, you they wouldn't let you. Like, I'm sorry. We want to donate all of these soft pretzels at the end of the day to a food bank.
4: We would love to. You could not, as a high school kid, yeah. go to a Dunkin' Donuts, get all of their... Uh, leftovers from the day and drive it to a homeless shelter yeah. yourself. You just couldn't do it. Yes, wasn't a lot
2: because it was they were either the liability or the legalities it was like we can't because it could be spoiled and it's technically bad and we're not allowed to do it. So we've got a lot of weird
4: incentives. I get my except in Vegas. Vegas is good. They give them all to the pig farms. Oh yeah, I think so. All the Vegas buffets and stuff. Oh really? They ship. Yeah, if you don't eat their sushi and caviar for the day, oh, then man. they just ship it to a pig farm. I think that's great. Yeah. Um.
2: But yeah, somebody. I, I mean, again, I've I've had dumb ideas, but I was watching. I think Crystal and Sager, and Crystal said she she suspected it was to maintain high prices. It's like that's no, <laughs> this is not why they're doing this. It's to, It's to not pay storage fees for stuff
4: that people don't want. It's not like no, it's not, it's just not just diamonds the, not, where they're artificially inflating the price of things. It's not to. It's not because Amazon uh, is saying that people don't want to buy it. Just to be clear, it's mm-hmm. because the seller says, Amazon, I don't want you to store it anymore. That's FBA,
2: but I'm sure that Amazon has their own products that they're not doing. And it's just because it costs a lot of money to distribute stuff. If you've ever tried to give away your old stuff, it, you know, it's like, who wants it? Like a handful of things go quickly in the garage sale. And a lot of it is really hard to move. Yeah. And it takes a full day and it's probably not worth the effort if you were to measure the cash that you got out of it. If you measure the satisfaction for having rehomed some of your old things, maybe it is. Um, but it's just interesting that, I, I mean, I've probably made that that jump i i was wrong uh, the other week about fauci's emails coming from a leak and it came from something else it came from uh, a governmental freedom request, of information freedom of information uh it's just yeah it's just how easy it is to like read a headline intuit something and get it completely wrong mm-hmm. um so one other big switch sure ben simmons Oh, come on. I feel so bad for that guy. Oh, I? okay. I thought you were going to try to rag on him. No, no, I feel horrible. So if you don't know, Ben Simmons is a Philadelphia Sixers player. He's been trusting the process for several years. Uh, it's it's what we say in Philadelphia when we can't win anything. We just trust the process. Trust the process. <laughs> trust the process. Trust the process.
4: Yeah, he, he, uh, he had a rough playoff series. He, he didn't, didn't have- take any shots in the fourth quarter yeah. of many games. He averaged like nine points or seven points. It was not, it was not a good look. He was scared to do free throws. He's, he's um, an interesting case study in, in having your head messed up. Yeah. he's just uh you know, I think it's weird. We have mental health awareness month. We have empathy for people who have mental health issues, but when a pro athlete is clearly suffering from some form of anxiety, the city of Philadelphia also is especially bad at this. They <laughs> yeah. just shit on him. I was actually thinking about this. I'm from Philly. I'm a Philly sports fan. Like if you made me pick my team in every sport, it's Philly. We do this to ourselves, though. Like, Fultz had the yips. Simmons has the yips. It's not good to be terrified that if you fuck up, your fans will turn on you and throw batteries at you. That's just not a good environment to succeed. Like, you really need to not do that if you want to win anything. I don't know how else to say it. Like, Philly is going to blame everybody else, but the collective fan base and the toxic culture is a huge part of what's causing this. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought of that. I think... Yeah, I it's hilarious. They are, I don't know. Is, is that... Yes, grew we're, up the worst. No, we're the, the worst. No, we're the worst. Everyone thinks we're the worst. Okay. I mean, there's a couple people that are tied, but for turning on your own team, Philly is renowned as being the city that turns on its own team. Everybody boos other teams. Everybody heckles yeah, yeah. other teams. We boo ourselves. We throw batteries at ourselves. We <laughs> heckle ourselves. And uh, what do you know? It's not a good way to instill confidence in your players. Yeah. So to some extent, I say shut up if you want mm-hmm. this to stop happening and you're a Philly fan who's sending him death threats via Twitter. Yeah. It's like, you're an idiot. Yeah. If you're sending Ben Simmons a death threat because he missed a free throw, delete all your social media yeah, and get help. <laughs> like
2: he, he needs Tony Robbins, man. He is a phenomenally physically talented person. Yep. Who forgot that he's right handed.
4: Well, no, this is the other thing. So this, this, If people don't know, Ben Simmons, when he was a kid, showed extremely high potential as an athlete. And his father wanted him to be ambidextrous because it would make him a better basketball player. And in the process, people think, screwed up. He ended up making him shoot with the wrong hand. So if you've ever thrown a football or shot a basketball with your left hand and your right handed, that's what he's doing all the time, people suspect. And it's not, uh, it's because, I mean, the story goes, it's because of his dad training him to try to use both hands, and then getting confused on what his dominant hand is. But the guy will go on a talk show and pantomime, he goes, yeah, so I used to shoot into a trash can. And the hand he uses without thinking is the hand he doesn't shoot with. Mm -hmm. So I think his dad accidentally, I mean, obviously, first of all, it worked. The guy's on a Mac contract. Dad, if your goal is to make money, you killed it. But accidentally may have taught him to shoot with the wrong hand. Well, I was, I
2: mean, as I was thinking, I, I have felt like Ben Simmons before. Like, I am... Even in intramural games, like at the end of the game, I'm like, I want the ball, I'm gonna score. That's not the guy that I am. Yeah, yeah. I've been the Ben Simmons, like, here you go. So he's got this, <laughs> he's got the now memeable thing where he's got a he's got a dunk on a six foot tall guy, he's six eleven, and he and he dishes under the basket. Mm-hmm. And I've been in that position. And I feel like he really what is happening from my perspective is he has uh catastrophized so many times about screwing it up and seen himself miss so many foul shots in his mm-hmm. mind's eye and clank a dunk off the back of the rim and felt the booze so many times in his head that he's, he's practiced blowing it yeah so many times which is the opposite of what he needs to do which is the conor mcgregor like i've seen this moment in my hits. yeah yeah like you, he hasn't seen a good end of the
4: game maybe ever mentally Just, you're saying mentally, yeah if people yeah. If, if anyone ever saw our video on a visualization by conor mcgregor you're saying he's Taking a lot of rep mental reps of He's lost a hundred times. Yeah.
2: And so he's making the right call, which is like I've blown this a hundred times before, a million times before. And uh he clearly, if you look at him in like preseason when shit doesn't matter, where he's not catastrophizing, he's 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 aggressive and, and mm-hmm. really good. Uh it's just sad. I hope I hope that Tony Robbins reaches out to him and brain wipes him. Yeah, yeah. He needs it, man. Sure. He needs it so bad.
4: It's also Uh, funny, I'm a Sixers fan, I love the Sixers, I was really bummed when we lost, I watched that game uh, live, but it is also an interesting look in scapegoating, I think, mm. because our coach has blown 11 playoff series where he had the the lead in the series, and that's the most ever, and he has the record, I think, for blowing the biggest lead in a playoff game, which is with the Sixers, 26-point lead in the third quarter. And he has just has a pattern of blowing it. But it, I don't understand this. this is a genuine
2: question. How influential is the coach in the third quarter? Isn't the coach's job to like draw so you have schemes a, that get you to the third quarter? You have a
4: 26-point lead. Yeah. Your bench is in. It cuts to 24. Oh, he left to 20, the bench in. He left, to 18, he left the bench in. To 16. To 6. Oh,
2: he didn't like... He oh, didn't, let's didn't, put the starters
4: back out there. Oh, really? And Joel Embiid thought he was done for the day. He's playing on a torn meniscus. Thought he was going to just stop playing. Well, that's to like, be
2: fair. That's the right call with... Joel, who has a tournament, we don't need to talk too much sports here. But like, you if you're up, you call a timeout.
4: Yeah, you draw up a play. Yeah, yeah. I watched the last game. I don't think we scored on a single out of you're timeout play. You,
2: you're saying you like interrupt the flow of them. It's
4: a momentum game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you get you. Oh, we're, we went from 26 to 20. Let's call timeout. Let's draw up a play that involves yeah. a back pick that gets us an open dunk, like Popovich would do for yeah, the Spurs. Yeah. It's like we're calling timeouts so that our center can get the ball at the three point line. Yeah, like, this was our play. Yeah, it's uh, it's, and. It, and he has just done it more than anybody. He blows games. He blows series, and no one's really talking about it. Cause he like took Ben Simmons and just put him in front of him and said, look at this guy. And Ben Simmons played bad too. But listen, Joel Embiid went zero for 12 in the fourth quarter in a game they lost. There's a lot of blame to go around. Sure. But everyone's talking about this one guy. That's what I find interesting. It's like, how did you guys convince the world that you had nothing to do with this? Oh no. I mean, it Ben Simmons is just supposed to be a star and he played like uh
2: an eighth man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he wasn't, wasn't there. Um, I have a bunch of random stuff. If you want me to continue, if you have anything related. Related
4: to the Sixers? I can't say I do. I have things, but. Okay. We'll, we'll
2: just do mine and we'll do yours. Sure. So I had a wedding. It wasn't my wedding. It was my sister's wedding. Mazel tov. Mazel tov. Uh, it was very interesting to sit there. I, have not been to many weddings because mm. I don't like to travel and they're almost always not where I am because I've lived in different cities. In that and you weren't in stuff. a fraternity. I wasn't in a fraternity.
4: That'll like quadruple your wedding yeah, invites. That'll, that'll blow it <laughs> um,
2: So I've not been to many and it's been uh, many years since I've been to one, but I was struck by how romantic it is. Mm. It is. It touched you? No, no. Uh, <laughs> I mean this like uh, neutrally, like without judgment on the romanticism or negative or positive. It is, I mean, I'm sitting there next to my nine-year-old cousin, or I guess second cousin, daughter of my cousin, I don't know, Um, and I'm just going, well, well, my sister's up there and they're saying the nicest things to each other in the vows that they've written, Mm -hmm. and you're my person, and you make me better every day, and, and it's just like, I'm going, I want some of that, like. I'll take that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, what yeah, yeah. I mean, like this sounds awesome. Wait yeah. a second. Also, everybody has to look at you and tell you you're great for like eight hours. This is sick. Uh, so my my thought was, for better or worse, and this is uh, this is just about weddings in general, not this particular one. Is I see why everybody wants one. Mm-hmm. I like I get now at a deeper felt level why why pe- people say like I just want my person. Like no kidding, you do. Like the the whole thrust of it was. Um, it's just awesome. It's like yeah, you, yeah. who wouldn't want someone who makes them their best self every single day for the rest of time, who promises to be kind, caring and understanding. And if there's ever a problem to get over, it's like, look, if I believed that that was the likely
4: outcome sure. of a wedding, I would probably be married already. Oh dude, if I didn't know divorce rates, if I was like, Oh yeah, the divorce rates, 2% most people that get married stay together. And Whatever also you say
2: in your vows is what happens. I'd be like, Oh my God, yeah. sign me up.
4: Self-reported <laughs> happiness goes through the roof when yeah, you get yeah. married. It's like, yeah, this is, I'm not structurally opposed to this it's, like yes
2: <laughs> that was that was my sense as I was sitting there and I'm going, am I missing something? And well, it's also
4: <laughs> it's the uh, it's like the real world equivalent of Instagram in the sense that you'll have a couple go up there and that you are my person the light of my life you pick me up when I'm down it's like didn't I see you guys fight a week ago and three weeks ago and five weeks ago and you almost broke up nine weeks ago and you cheated on each other twelve weeks ago? It's mm-hmm. like I don't think that she's actually or he's actually, like, picking you up every time you're down. But the vows are awesome, on point. Yeah. Uh, I felt a bit like this. I I guess I'm weird. I felt like an anthropologist, like,
2: watching a ritual. Sure, of course. from From a interested perspective. Like, wow, this is fascinating. And the question that I had is, like, are these vows which will, no doubt, and I mean this in every case, my sisters included, like, these will be broken within... 30 days like you will be crass and not forgiving and like you and and that's not to say that that's a bad marriage it's just like you cannot live up to, to the if you listen to what people say mm. um it, these, these will be broken and even if you make tentative vows they'll be broken within six months to a year because you're that's relationships are tricky
4: yeah yeah I listened to one guy whose vow was, "I'm gonna try my best." Right? I, bet, I bet that he's mostly stuck to it. Try his best. I mean, even that's,
2: I guess, yeah. If you're like, just, Look, I'm gonna be me, and you're gonna I be me. It was actually weird
4: to see because it was uh, my my uh, two friends were getting married, and one was like, "I'm gonna do my very best. very over just like that full full romance, full over the top like yeah the the vows you dream of," and then another person was just like, "You know, I'm gonna." I get annoyed sometimes, but I'm gonna try to fight that, and uh, you know, I'm I'm playing it up a little bit. But it was stark. I remember watching me, and like, ooh, that's gotta hurt after you just shared your heart. You know, that would be me, and and I actually was like, is there value
2: to making promises that you recognize are impossible to keep in front of a group of people who will pretend that they're possible to keep? And and I think there is from a community perspective, like it keeps families together when everyone out there is sitting and has watched you say this and it's very easy to you know publicly to talk about this but it's very much more difficult publicly to talk about troubles Mm -hmm. Uh, obviously that comes with downsides but i do think what it does is it keeps family units
4: uh working through problems because well i don't think the vows really mean anything anymore i think back in the day with a small town maybe there was a time where a husband and wife fought and someone's like well remember your vows I this mean, is part of being married is you have to through sick, thick and thin. But now it's like, I don't, not I don't just think the
2: vows though. It's, it's tougher to get divorced than it is to break up because you've, pro- it's, it's embarrassing. You've promised everyone that you love and you made them come and they gave you a card. Yeah. It is embarrassing. It's weird to think about that. And then think about how common divorce is. Oh, I think that, that. I've never been there, but I imagine that you must feel like a failure if you get a divorce because you mm. made a promise in front of everyone you love that this wouldn't happen.
4: Divorce people who are listening, chime in in the comments. Be sure. curious if you did feel like a failure sure. or if you're like, no, nah, you guys are way off base. It was awesome.
2: And I want to make this clear. This isn't about my sister's wedding in particular. I was I'm like a scientist out there. I'm, <laughs> I'm like studying. Um yeah and I think that that though I I suspect that that's there's value to that to, if if your goal is to maintain the most number of people in relationship to one another even if that relationship is tumultuous mm. and lacks uh healthy sex life or you know the things that that can sometimes happen in long term well, relationships
4: I wonder cuz I do know Esther Perel would say that that the idealizing of or the idealizing of relationships is actually one of the things leading to people being unhappy in relationships or feeling like a failure in mm-hmm. the sense that like you're up there, you, you're seeing the marriage, the amazing vows. Oh my God. And yep. you're sitting next to your boyfriend, your girlfriend, <laughs> husband, wife, and you go, Oh my God, we had a fight last week. Yeah. Like, are we broken? I don't feel this way. Two weeks ago he needed to have me pick him up from the airport and I said, no nah, i get an Uber. Like, are we messed up? Yeah. And her thing, because she's all about monogamy is we have specifically a myth in the United States at least that if you if your eyes wander if you look at another person and think they're attractive or if you have a dream of having sex with someone that isn't your significant other it's an indication that your relationship is flawed you're unhappy maybe this isn't your person or your sex life isn't as good as it should be something is wrong and she says that's just being human seeing someone attractive walk by I go oh look at that and then your subconscious one night a year goes oh sex with that person in your dreams and it's like you're just doing it right and you're you're really. I mean, one ninety. That would no. Be I'm crazy. saying. I agree. I agree. I'm trying to. Say, I'm saying like, this is. People think that they're failing when they have. Mm-hmm. Totally human. Absolutely not failure. Screw ups. She goes even further than that and says that we should aim for monaga mish, which sure. is like, couple slip ups over the course of a lifetime. So I'm not. I'm not going to stand on that or not because I haven't thought about this at all. Yeah. I never had a lifelong relationship, mm-hmm. but I do think. It's it sets you up to resent the other person, to resent yourself, to feel like a failure, to feel shame mm-hmm. because you're doing something that everybody's doing, but everybody's pretending they're not doing.
2: Yes. Well, I think I think I guess what has happened is that the value of the ritual, given the techno technology we had and the towns that we lived in, was like very, very valuable up until a certain time and now is needing to morph to something else, which I think acknowledges that uh relationships are not totally lovey dovey peachy romantic mm-hmm. things all the time. And I, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you in 2021. And this wedding did have that. Uh, the vows that they had were one of the last weddings I went to, it was, you know, reading Bible verses, you know, about what love is this, love is that. And even that was a, a step beyond what it used to be, which is like, I will serve you faithfully and obey <laughs> what my husband says. Their vows, which they wrote, were much more. I'm my own person, you're your own person. I'm happy that we're together as two people, but we're we're good, you know, we're going to keep growing mm-hmm. separately. Um so yeah, I do think that that it probably needs to evolve and recognize that it's going to be hard if it's going to create happy circumstances for the people that engage in
4: Yeah, it's like when we fight in it. A promise to cool
2: off. Yeah. And then come back. Yeah. Like that's a solid vow. And that would not have been able to be said 40 years ago, you know, like or even perhaps Yeah. More recently. Than I'm going
4: to take a walk instead of stabbing you and <laughs> yes. I'll return. That's a good vow. And we'll talk it out. It's a
2: good vow. Like when I get angry, I promise to take walks. Like that's a, that's like a pretty good <laughs> thing yeah, yeah, to yeah. say.
4: We'll work it out. <laughs> yeah. After I've blown off some steam. Um, also at the wedding,
2: I don't know. I, this isn't that common of a circumstance cause I'm different, but I've, I've traveled a lot. I haven't been back. I have a fairly large family. And so I technically know everybody, but I don't know them that well and they don't know me that well. Mm. And it made for like, it reminded me of some of the charisma questions, which is like, how do you deal with the interactions with family? And then this was multiplied by like, how do you deal with interactions with family that you haven't seen in a club environment? (laughs) And it was, uh, I had kind of wanted to go in and, and connect with people as if it were a one on one conversation like this and like learn about them and learn about their values and what they're up to. And I most of the time did have to accept that it was more like our New York City club experience, which is just saying nonsense back and forth to people, accepting that you're not going to learn anything about them and just yeah, yeah. hoping that the nonsense that you say makes puts smiles on their face. Uh, and so, yeah, I was just reminded of those two modes of interaction and I haven't been out in a club in a very long time, so it, was, it took me time to adjust to that. I like, kept hoping that we would get past the initial stuff and then I had to be like, oh man, I should have just been doing improv comedy, making nonsense up the whole time. Tell yeah, people yeah. when they ask what I'm doing in California, I should tell them that I'm like a butt model and just, <laughs> you know what I mean? I should sure. just, I should just say things that make them laugh instead yeah, yeah. of like trying. I, I was, I was getting like the first three questions into every conversation over and over again. And by the end of the night, I was like, I'm an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I know better than this. I used to go out to class. try to this connect. Well, not, the, yeah. the way you got to do this it in the club you is here. you,
4: you make the person laugh and then you escape the loud music. Yes. You don't do it on the dance floor. You're yeah. like make the person attracted to you and they go hey do you want to slip off to the back bar where it's not so loud and we can actually talk yeah and the one conversation
2: i had was uh standing in line for the bathroom and then we just stood there for a while and talked for 30 minutes about you know
4: no it was always about at least for me it was always about uh at some point getting off the dance floor to a place where you could actually hear each other i never had like a great connection shouting yeah yeah so yep 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 i have a bunch of random shit do you want to go Sure. I got one that's very near and dear to my heart. Okay. I want to talk about the massive rise in shark attacks.
2: Okay. Is there an actually massive rise?
4: So my friend friend sent me a bunch of news articles. Study found that in the U.S. there were more shark attacks in 2020 than in any other country. The U.S. had the most. A hammerhead shark thrashed in ankle-deep water near beachgoers. Sharks circled women on a floaty in Florida Beach. A California drone video showed a growing number of great white sharks swimming near people. Why Smyrna Beach has so many shark attacks. Florida authorities respond to two shark attacks on the same day. Shark attack prompts dramatic rescue at Florida. These are just a couple of news headlines from Fox and uh, other news uh, places. So it turns out there have been less shark attacks in 2020 than in 2019. (laughs) And on average, nobody's been out there. There are zero to three deaths a year. Three is the most (laughs) ever. Yeah. Zero is a common occurrence. Despite the fact that there are... Dozens of articles written about from major news sources. So
2: you'd say there's more articles about shark attacks this year than there are shark attacks this year.
4: There's certainly more than <laughs> fatal shark attacks yeah. by a fatal, large fatal, yeah. margin. Got
2: it. Oh, uh, but total. I think, I think most shark attacks probably aren't
4: fatal. Total tar- shark like, attacks? Because
2: they like take a bite out of you and then they go away. 30, 30 in 30.
4: the U.S. in 2020. Yeah. It's just panic porn, dude. The news is hilarious. And it will lead people to text their friends that surf. Did you see this? Did you get texts about it? No, my friend who's a surfer says, dude, I get sent all of these. (laughs) I get sent all of these every time some stupid (laughs) news source says it's a slow day. Let's, how do we get people to panic today? There hasn't been any actual news to panic about. Let's ding up shark attacks. It's like, this is happening with everything. This is happening with everything that you're panicked about from the news. It's, uh, I like shark attacks. So this is just such an obviously comical one because it's such a, non-existent problem when zero to three people die a year out of 300 plus million people but gets coverage people share it with each other and uh yeah it's just the news has become panic porn it's very interesting i
2: wonder if jaws had anything to do with it or if it was
3: just always like people were just gonna be afraid of sharks i
4: think, think jaws had something to i do think with
3: jaws it. literally started like the cultural yeah yeah the obsession with like shark attacks that's fascinating
0: dude
4: no one shares gator attacks i wouldn't be, i would not be shocked if gators and crocodiles killed more people yeah. well, than that's, sharks that's a year the funny
2: thing in africa like the hippo is more dangerous than than lions and yeah. cheetahs and all of them combined i was gonna say tigers but they're not down there dude <laughs> oh it's just fascinating
4: i think it's fascinating it was just another reminder of oh yeah you're gonna read an entire news article its purpose is to make you scared of sharks and you would struggle to think of a smaller issue. Refrigerators might kill more people than sharks. That was
2: another one. The vending machines were like more dangerous than grizzlies and sharks and all these things. Three around. a year, dude. Yeah,
4: three a year. Vending machines. And they're writing up, about yeah. it in the news. Yeah, it's it was just to me it just highlighted how amazingly uh, the news is about creating strong emotions of fear and anger in yeah. you. Well,
2: it's and what's necessary is to rip things away from context. And this is this is kind of what I was mentioning with dude. The COVID. article said. Yeah.
4: Panic headline: More shark attacks in the U.S. than any other country. Yeah, thirty of them. Yeah, (laughs) what over the course of a year? Yeah, in the entire United States.
2: And it's and it's like the context they do give you is the context that it would be
4: most upsetting. Yes, you know, because oh, they purposefully yeah tried to couch that like it was it's down from 2019, (laughs) it's down from 40 to 30. It seems like a good habit, which is kind of one that you learn
2: in consulting, though. I is more perhaps just a critical thinking habit is. so just to ask for context, you know. What I mean, like to break a thing down, like oh, it's more than other countries. Well, is it more than previous years? Is it how many? Is it relative? You know, like where mm-hmm. does this fit? How dangerous? Uh, is it? Is it high per person in the water? If there were only thirty people in the water and they all got attacked by sharks, <laughs> or, I'd be like, the ocean is a murderous yeah. danger that nobody can go near. So it's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of ways to slice that data that would that would lead to interesting conclusions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I felt that about COVID a lot at the beginning when we were talking about death rates. Like, okay, death rates where? And, you know, don't need to talk about that too much. Here's a, a tweet from Bernie that I think is interesting because a lot of people do this. Bernie Mac? Bernie Sanders. Mm. Um, a lot of people do this when arguing, and I think it it um just keeps polarization worse. So what they do, what he does in this, I argue, in this tweet is uh, straw man the other side by, mm-hmm. by not giving the best argument, even though his point is completely reasonable. But it's just like this, this isn't the way to do it. So he says 400 richest Americans' wealth in 1991, 288 billion. 400 richest Americans' wealth in 2021, which is, I guess, 30 years later, 3.2 trillion. So it went up a lot. Okay. Tipped minimum wage in 1991, 213 an hour. Tipped minimum wage in 2021, 213 an hour. So one thing that he does is he switches from wealth to wage. And if you looked at the richest Americans' wages in 1991 and 2021, they might have gone down because they don't earn in wages. Mm. So, like, what you would want to compare is the wealth of people. Like, even just not comparing evenly. Now, I think that there's a cut that's going to give him the point that he's trying to make, which is that the richest people are getting rich really, really fast, and the poorest people are not. But, like, why would you go from, why would you say wages in one and, and net worth in another that seems so disingenuous (laughs) you know what i mean because if you did if you did wages for both of them you wouldn't have a tweet it would be completely uninteresting.
4: honestly you probably just do net worth for both of them because my guess is net worth is down since debt is up so you could probably just do net worth to net worth and show that minimum wage workers at least weren't dying of debt back then and so it's like oh used to be a grand on average and now it's negative 20 grand you could actually make a better point maybe by making it apples to apples yeah and and i mean again so it's uh it now it's a tweet you know it's it's a product of the i also don't think bernie does his own tweets sure that's the other thing someone was like bernie how could you tweet this like Like, bernie didn't didn't tweet this dude an intern tweeted this yeah it's (laughs) bernie uh, has no idea what his Twitter says
2: i guess this is just so much of the debate you know um when we talk about the wage gap you just get like one number that that is completely misunderstood and out of context i I guess the problem is that it's not just that the platforms are built for whatever 180 or 240 characters. It's that the human brain is built for 240 characters. (laughs) So the platforms that cater to that are going to be the ones to take off. And the memes that people share and find interesting are going to be instantly comprehensible. And the world is actually incredibly complex and, uh, doesn't can't easily be tweeted.
4: Sure. Well, we were talking about this the other day. I won't, I won't name them, but we were talking about political YouTubers, And the people that get the most famous are not the people with the most nuanced point that go on and have the arguments in good faith with the smartest person they can find from the other side. Mm -hmm. It's people who, if you already agree with what they believe, they say it in a way that makes you feel smart and like you're on the right side. So they find unintelligent people on the other side and then crush them so that you feel validated in your belief. And they largely just say what you think all the time without ever trying to, in good faith, give the best argument for the other side and sometimes changing their mind, being a conservative or a liberal YouTube face who swings to the other side's position in an argument because it's convincing. Like those are not the people, they're out there. They're not the people with millions of subscribers. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, it's just not how you get a tweet to go viral or how you build an audience by having embraced the full complexity of an issue, trying to appear. Uh, to understand both sides and then making your opinion based on what makes the most sense for each issue without going down the same party for all of your opinions. It's Mm -hmm. just like, no, you're going to get crushed by the sensationalist guy who's destroying the other side. Like just what people want is they just want to confirm that they're right and they're smart and they're side is right and the other side is stupid
2: yeah i think i think part of what creates that i think one of the weinsteins talks about like audience capture where like you lean a little bit to one side and then your audience becomes predominantly that and you get applause for Mm -hmm. half-baked uh not fully buttoned up arguments that confirm a belief but when you go to the other side if you're not like completely even if you are even if you are even if you are completely dialed
4: in and you have all the stats and it's 100 percent compelling to a neutral audience but your audience doesn't believe it no you suck you lose money (laughs) um so, yeah, it's that the the
2: very structure of things seems to lead to uh, half baked ideas of people representing ideas that the other side doesn't have, and then knocking them down as if they were <laughs> as if they were right. Yeah, um,
4: that's the you know. nature of what gets attention.
2: Yeah. Well, I want to be famous. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey. At least we
4: have a beautiful, nuanced audience that only sometimes turns on us.
2: And I'm sure that we've gotten things wrong, too, and, and have, uh, have fallen victim to all of this stuff. I have well, a handful of other things, sir.
4: This isn't something that we've gotten wrong, but it is something I want to address about things that we have been proponents of, because we've gone on here and talked about how psychedelics are helpful for the right people in the right circumstances, how video games can be good in moderation, how exercise is good for you. And I was just doing, I might do a video for Chris Command about video game addiction, and it, it highlighted to me that almost everything that's good for you, if done incorrectly or too much, becomes bad for you. Like We know someone who was addicted to working out and became very unhealthy, actually, weirdly enough, because of their diet and exercise habits. Mm-hmm. And video game addiction, I'm, while I'm researching this, sometimes you just come across these people who I don't know any personally who had to drop out of college because they were so addicted to playing video games or... Got fired because they were so addicted to playing video games. And so we'll come on here and be like, oh, League of Legends is so fun. And, and it is, unless it ruins your life. <laughs> and psychedelics, you know, if you take the actually the right safe medicine in a safe space and you have integration set up for afterwards, can be amazingly life changing, but also can really wreck you if you get a bad substance or a bad environment or whatever it is, you know, have no integration afterwards. And so I don't really have a takeaway, but I just made me realize like, oh, yeah, this stuff, everything has like a very bad dark side if you do it wrong or too much.
2: Yeah, water kill you. Yeah. (laughs) Like
4: everything. It's oxygen.
2: (laughs) Well, probably. I'm sure you can be
4: over-oxygenated and just explode or something. Well, it's just interesting for me to think. I was like, okay, so like, do I play League of Legends? If I do, am I going to have hard rules for how much I can play? Do I try to purposely take breaks? Like how do you uh, approach these things so that you're not the person addicted to exercise destroying their body or the person who's now not playing because it's fun, but they have that compulsion in the back of their mind. Like, Oh, you should probably play now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't have all the answers. I'm s- it's the video it probably will take weeks and weeks to make as I make other videos in between. Cause I want to really like understand it. And unlike charisma, this isn't something I've like studied. Yeah. But it was just interesting to think about and watch this stuff as it's something also that I had been doing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, you told me that you were going to play, you're going to limit yourself to one league of legends and, I I don't understand that. I know that you're like in the world of addiction and have been looking at people who have destroyed their lives.
4: No, I felt felt it myself that like, they say the stages of video game addiction is it starts out fun and then it becomes like you have highs. You have dopamine highs when you win and this and that. And then it's like the fun kind of goes away. You don't get as much joy from the game, but it's still a good way to distract yourself from negative emotions or do something with your friends, even though the highs are gone. And then even that goes away and you just reach compulsion where there's no joy it's frustrating you you're getting stressed your cortisol spiking but you keep returning to it the next day yeah. i was like well i'm definitely already in stage two with this game mm-hmm. like it is not, it's gone past the euphoria so as we actually took a week off of playing which i think was very good um but that's why i thought i was like yeah i'm not
2: well i think i guess one of the things
4: with literature on
2: addiction is that they talk about video game addiction or food addiction in the stages. Like, addiction is just a process that can attach. And it's, it is particularly easy for many people to attach to video games because there's a tight dopamine cycle.
4: But if. Yeah, well, if, that's part of the video is going to be why is it so much easier to get addicted to video games than basketball, let's mm-hmm. say, which is very hard to get addicted to.
2: Well, I mean, if you look at what are things in one's life, your life, my life, that you do that don't make you really happy, you'll just like every one of your behaviors is compulsive in nature and none of them really make you that happy. So like, go play some video games. Who cares is kind of how I feel. And and I, that's that's an exaggeration. Obviously, there's things that you do for the sheer joy of it. But like, so much of what we do is compulsive.
4: Yeah, I felt like League in particular was in a very <laughs> short period of time becoming a thing that just wasn't fun, but I was still doing. Yeah, And it was just clear to see. It's like, oh, this isn't, like I'm not, I played for an hour, and at the end of the hour, I'm not happier than I was. It was just frustrating. Mm-hmm. But then I would do it again the next day. So it was just, like, very clear and new. It was a new behavior, which made it easy to stop and easy to see. And it happened rapidly. Like, it only took a couple months for that to happen. So I was like, oh, this probably isn't the best well, I, game I guess to play. I think what you'll see, and this is... This is you know,
2: I talk about addiction ladders and emotional mastery is that, okay, free up the time from league. That's just interesting. Not to say that you shouldn't stop playing league. You will compulsively look elsewhere. You know what I mean? Like the thing that no one can really do is sit quietly with themselves for an extended period of time without mm-hmm. external stimuli because they'll freak out and they can't handle it because their internal world, all of us, uh, by the most part, perhaps monks being the exception, uh, don't like to be alone with ourselves, even in a comfortable 72-degree room. Sure. Uh, but
4: like yesterday, what I did was went down and hung out with you, mm-hmm. Henry, and Ivan. Yeah. I feel like that was a better use of time than playing league.
2: Interesting. Um, well, I don't disagree
4: with you, but break that down. Why? At no point was I frustrated or angry. Got it. <laughs> it was just enjoyable. hmm Got it. Got it. And so,
2: yeah, I guess there's two pieces to... Video, one of the things with video game addiction that I think is perhaps different from other addictions is that uh, that frustration piece. It's like if you if you have a food addiction, at no point when you're eating the food are you like fru- frustrated? Well, I
4: think you might like actually when you have a real food addiction. I think what well, I think you, what you might have is self loathing. Mm-hmm. I've, I've I'd years ago met somebody who was eating more than they wanted and they couldn't stop, and they would have the compulsion to reach for the candy bar. And then as they were eating the candy bar, instead of thinking about how good it tasted, they were thinking about what a
2: piece of of shit they were basically
4: um so i do i think even with food addiction you do reach that point where you're like this isn't fun this isn't i'm not experiencing what a five-year-old experiences the first time they have a reese's cup i'm just doing this because i ran out of the willpower to stop Mm. and now i hate myself for it i think that's pretty common at least with some food addicts
2: got it got it interesting yeah i don't know for me i mean i i can relate to what you're saying with league but i it has not sunk its claws in so deep that i like just makes me not want to play when I get angry at it. So I, I I feel somewhat still reactive to the emotions that it creates, which is really what I want. It's not to remove frustration and anger. It's to react to frustration and anger with repulsion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's and what and I think what addiction is is when something creates such negative emotions in your life and you
4: react to that with attraction. Like mm-hmm.
2: like, oh, this is going horrible. Give me more.
4: Well, and I think that, that often happens yeah. with especially League of Legends in particular. It's like This sucked. I want to play again. Yeah, is a very common like that sucked. My teammate was flaming me, or the the other people was flaming me. I mean that
2: that I understand.
4: Well, that's the thing. So that's what makes it. That's then it becomes. Then you might have two or three games in a row where you're not actually ever enjoying yourself, but you're just doing it to get because we're
2: not good enough to win every game.
4: And so that's the other aspect is there's an experience every game. There's a don't
2: have to be frustrated, right?
4: And then so then there's that sense of uh, progress or growth, or that victory's right around the corner, which is another part of why league is so well designed to keep you playing because you and you often feel like the loss wasn't your fault Mm -hmm. um so like oh let's just run it again with better luck i'll win and now you've played a bunch of games none of them were particularly fun your cortisol's up and it's just like yeah it's just not necessarily the best use of sure time even if you're even if you're forgetting growth and your just goal is to enjoy yourself so might be better off going to dinner with friends or something. Yeah.
2: Well, I'll leave this as an open question because I do think I, th- I simultaneously agree with everything you're saying and have been addicted to video games at various points in my life. Uh, particularly when I was younger, like I was playing mm-hmm. to a degree and I would have that like, what the, f- what am I doing here at 3:30 AM? Like, mm-hmm. like playing sim hotel. Um, and then my dreams would be that stupid elevator going up <laughs> and down and it was bad. And then I'd wake up in the morning and I would swear it off and I'd do it again. The only way that I ever quit Star Wars by was by at 3 a.m. snapping the CD. hmm and being like, oh, that was a good thing. And then I woke up in the morning and was,
4: what have you done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you just couldn't, you didn't, it wasn't like today where yeah. you can just re-download it from Steam. Yes. yes. I that mean, was that's even it. more well, dangerous That was part. it,
2: dude. That was, that was it. Today,
4: you just, oh, yeah, I'm going to delete League. And then it's free and you just download it. The yeah. next day, you can solve that problem in 10 minutes. Whereas as a kid, you break the CD. Your parents aren't buying you yes. another CD. Yes. So anyway, so I, I recognize that. But I think there's
2: another piece that we've talked about, which is video games are at their best games. And games are one of the best parts of being alive. Sure. Like, playing games is an important thing. And I do agree that there's a variation in the way that a game is set up that can make it uh, more tilting versus more fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And so I'd be curious, like, what the elements are of a game that is brings more of the positive with less of the negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, I could riff right now, but it, collaboration versus... Like, games where it's me and my friends versus computers seem to breed less just dis- like hate like when i'm when i lose to a human personally that's when i get most upset
4: well i think uh, one playing with your friends versus with strangers yeah. right because if you have a stranger on your team that they're doing and they're doing poorly that's gonna be frustrating uh two, having an opponent that talks shit to you <laughs> which like I'm even Chris. if they're beating you and this is true these are parallels to sports because as i'm yeah. making the video i'm thinking well how does this differ from basketball yeah. When you play with five people on your team and you know a friend isn't good, but you brought him to the court to play and they mostly pass the ball, it's fine. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you knew that's what they were going to do, hustle and play defense and not take shots. Mm -hmm. They're going to be Ben Simmons. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, League is weird because you're with a stranger and it's if they aren't good, they can benefit the other team. Like a basketball player scoring on their own hoop, which would never happen. Like the game is designed so that the bad people make the good people even stronger Mm. and in basketball it's not the case you don't really hate your friend that you brought that you knew was going to be bad that's trying his hardest that's not shooting because it's like listen maybe your defender is going to float off you to double team someone but you're not actively scoring on the other team or like tying my shoelaces together when i'm not looking whereas in league it feels like a bad teammate can do that so it breeds inter-team conflict more because of that and i think uh it breeds uh, team versus team conflict more because it's anonymous and location uh, anonymous, basically. Whereas mm-hmm. in basketball, it's like, listen, you can talk shit, but you're not going to talk that much shit because at some point, five people on the other team might just punch you in the face. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is, no one knows your name, no one knows your face, no one knows where you are. And I think that's why you see, especially in like Call of Duty, a drastic jump in the number of N-bombs. Yeah, You don't do that when you go mm-hmm. play basketball in Venice. Yeah, that's yeah. not how you talk shit. Even when you talk shit, you don't talk it like that because yeah. you'll get really hurt. And so I think that aspect breeds more toxicity. So I think you have a game that is similar to basketball in a lot of ways and that is five on five, but has inherent aspects that make it much more toxic and much more frustrating than a traditional game would be.
2: Yeah. Well, as I'm thinking, I think there, there is something very fantastic about human to human competition. But when I think of like as a kid, the games that I invented and played and didn't have rules that like it was often us versus the environment or Mm -hmm. something. And I even think of D&D, which is like this, which is it's you versus the world of the game master. But even he's not. He's antagonistic, but he's not trying to kill you. But
4: we also played paintball and loved it, which is friend on friend. Yeah. And we played basketball and loved it.
2: I think. Yeah. What was it about?
4: I mean, paintballs literally shooting each other and it hurts <laughs> and we loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to think more. on. It. I don't want to, I don't want to take the time here to just, oh yeah, just I have powder. a little bit of an advantage because I've thought yeah. about this for the video, but I think for instance, it's not necessarily that it's, that it's human versus human competition. I think human versus human game competition has been around for a while and often ends with a hug. Mm-hmm. Even fighters will talk shit all throughout the lead up to the fight, try to beat each other up for five rounds. And then hug, and the beef is squashed. Well, I think what you're saying is there is it's like when the
2: when the winner is, is um, has social pressure or because it was a fight, there's something that makes you be gracious in victory, mm-hmm. which makes it easier to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, yeah, there's something about a fight which is like, dude, we just got real with each other, and like, good fight. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's even that, that gracious winning is something that doesn't exist in.
4: League. No one ever talks <laughs> shit in paintball the way people do in league of legends
2: yeah and that's not true people say gg you know that's it's not totally the case but it's yeah on
4: the good end you get gg because it's too they're too lazy to abbreviate good game yeah yeah and on the bad end you get racist slurs (laughs) homophobic slurs general like as pointed trash talking as they can about your mother and your performance it's like that's the spectrum on the best end gg
2: Yes, that's interesting. Yeah, gracious winners as I think is
4: makes losing. Even when you play paintball against valuable. strangers, you would never walk up to them afterwards and just say, "You guys fucking suck. You're all stupid." Yeah, but you're
2: just like, "Dude, when you came up behind me, I thought I was dead." You know, then I turned around, and shot you. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah. If anything, it's Oh congrats. my god,
2: you scared me so bad, dude. Yeah.
4: And in basketball, particularly when the shit-talking does go too far, people fist fight on the court. Mm-hmm. There is a natural gate There's a there's a lid for how much you can talk trash before someone will just punch you in the face. Mm doesn't exist in League. So it leads to a lot of pent-up frustration and toxicity towards each other. And I think there's some unique aspects to it relative to in-person games and relative to one-player video games against a computer you're designed to ultimately beat. Mm -hmm. And also, even if you can't, you just probably stop. If you're playing Dark Souls and you can't beat it, you just go on next game. Like there's something unique to, I think, shooters and League of Legends that makes them uniquely uh, frustrating but addicting.
2: Cool. Well, we'll save some for the video.
4: Yeah, let us know if you thought that was interesting. <laughs> if that bored you, maybe I won't even make the video. Um, so, sales
2: tactic that I came across twice since we last spoke was the fake, uh, it's, it's the ability to create reciprocity while the person trying to create it makes it seem like no big deal. And so I've said that, let me explain. It's when that person says, hey, I'm reading this book about, Uh, hosts in Vegas who try to track down these whales and get them to Mm. gamble at their casino. So they call him up. He says, hey, I'm going to be in Seattle next week. You know, thought I might stop by. We could just grab some lunch. No big deal. He's not going to Seattle. Only if this guy says yes, we can have lunch. Does he go? Uh, I got an email. I received an email from someone who said, hey, no big deal. Like I wrote all these emails for your email list. If you want to see them, let me know. It's like, no, you didn't. (laughs) You would have included them in the email if you'd written them. Uh, There is this, a I mean, I I don't like it because it's false, but just something that I've realized that people do that is very effective is they they make coincidence and gifts to you seem like no big deal so that you accept them such that reciprocity might be invoked
4: because and this is a common networking thing. People will email, hey, I'm going to be in yeah, California be in Cali if you want to yeah. get a coffee, but they're not. And the reason is because if you, if, you say yes. if you make it seem like the trip is just for getting coffee with you, it feels like too big of a sacrifice by the yep. other person. And then the person accepting is uncomfortable with the level of reciprocity that they feel. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. this person booked a flight for me. I, if I go to this coffee, if I say yes, and then they book the flight, I basically owe them five hundred dollars yeah, of yeah. value or time or something, and so it's easier to say no. Don't fly out. Don't yeah. fly out for coffee with me. And so it's this weird thing where because you can't guarantee they'll accept, it's actually better to lower the reciprocity. Whereas if you could guarantee someone would accept it, then the more you could get them to feel reciprocity, the better.
2: Yes, and it's um, it works. I mean, it, that's that's the thing. You're one of the the tricks that I, I I don't know the best way to phrase it, but it, people try when they're tra- trying to go out to someone that they see as superior or high value mm-hmm. to seem very nonchalant yeah. about it, when really this guy spent weeks tracking down the guy's address to call him to be like, Hey, you know, I'm just on my lunch break over here. I was thinking that maybe <laughs> it's like, no, you're not. This has been your strategy and your plan for an entire month. And in the book, it's to just to try guy, to get them back to Vegas to try to get this guy to switch hotels. So this it, the book is interesting. It's called Whale Hunting in Vegas. It's it's not like a, um, not a book that probably did very well. It's just written by some guy and he breaks down the the host thing in Vegas. And we t- mentioned some of the stuff on the podcast in the past, how they love it when the girlfriend is there, but not when the wife is there because the wife is going to make him stop gambling and the girlfriend is the guy that he's trying, the one that he's trying to impress. So yeah, yeah. That's more. No, it's
4: fascinating. So when the girlfriend comes to the table, they encourage it. And when the wife comes on the trip, they will give her thousands of dollars yep. in gift certificates just to try to have her go shopping yep. while he's playing so he can yep. play unsupervised. Yes,
2: usually, and by girlfriend, typically the ones that they want at the table are the, the women that that guy has not yet slept with.
4: Because then he'll bet more, he'll bet bigger to he'll try to bigger. impress them. He'll bet bigger,
2: yes. And if he has, they give her free gambling or free money to go buy purses and stuff just to get her away. If he has them. slept with her. Yes. Um, and it's, it's really disturbing how efficient this machine it didn't used to be like this Mm -hmm. apparently these were hotels that had casinos and this guy was one of the one that came in and really just looked at the numbers and said if you get a guy who's playing like fifty thousand dollars hundred thousand dollars two hundred fifty thousand dollars you're like a hand sometimes uh or i think one to a thousand is what they call a thousand to a hundred thousand is roughly in the like high roller whale and then above a hundred thousand is is the whale level so if you're betting that much per hand uh we can have full-time staff dedicated to you even when you're not here. Mm. <laughs> yeah. like, so we can... And and the games that they play with these people are so fascinating where they'll know that they have uh, like eight penthouses available and they'll tell them that they don't. And they'll say, look... I'm gonna make this happen for you, <laughs> you know. Like, sure, sure. We're look, uh, we're gonna move people out of there. We got to and, and they'll, like give them one of the eight penthouses that they have and had the whole time. Sure, it was never. So they're they're just running a con on these guys while smiling to their face, pretending yeah. to be their friends. Well, That's most uh, cons. And understanding that the money that they get paid is the bonus is based on how much their clients lose.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: like, not only, and it's not just enough to get them at the table. You got to get them drunk and loose and tilted and but also not too much because you want to you don't want to slaughter the cow you want to milk the cow. Mm. And so there's this there's this dance that is done. And the
4: whale hunter gets paid a percentage of what the whale loses.
2: The bonus that they receive at the end of the year for a lot of these guys is based on what their clients have lose. Wow.
4: So okay. you're just directly opposed to the best outcome for your clients.
2: Yes. Yes. But you still want your client to come back. So right. there is a degree of like he needs to feel good about his sure, losses. Sure. And and another thing that people like they'll go lose Five hundred thousand dollars, but if the guy made them feel that they got the penthouse and they kicked someone out, and that they got to go to the show and they kicked someone out of the, the front row tickets, even though you know they didn't, and they got to go to the restaurant that he wanted,
4: I'll think it was worth it.
2: Even though a trip that would have just cost that would have been like twenty k. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> uh,
4: so I assume they also often provide them with drugs and hookers. Uh,
2: they they give them everything. I haven't read about that, but there was a intimated sense that. Yeah they offer all of these sorts of things. Um yeah, Vegas is Vegas is a big trap. Vegas, oh, yeah, yeah. Vegas is a sure. big trap. And I live there, so I, I got to see it from a poor person's perspective, but it's interesting to read about what they what they do for the the rich people. Sure. And that's all. Just the uh the amount of effort that goes into this and the amount of obfuscating how hard they're working to get mm-hmm. these people to come is is just interesting.
4: Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Should we switch to uh questions cuz we have YouTube questions and then apparently we have a lot of Patreon questions. So we're going to yeah, spend yeah, a yeah. lot of time doing
3: that. Mm-hmm. So should we switch over? Let's do it. Sick. Sick. First one is um are you guys agnostic or atheistic? I've always had trouble uh, understanding atheism in the face of agnosticism. Uh, I believe in God or gods that is a sum total of space, time, matter, energy, and anything else that fundamentally determines universal operations. It rules all of us, blesses us, curses us, and determines our fates and what we think and feel and what we are and will be. If we are in a simulation, the gods are maybe just the creators or the the rulers the creators dictated. If not, the gods would be the circumstances that allow us to be. We are free to worship or to express our wills openly to any gods that we choose, relationships, wealth, science, religion, etc., and the ultimate God is the one that allows all of those to fundamentally exist. I see atheism as requiring the same amount of faith as believing in a God, because it takes just as much ego to say I know there is no God as it does to take, or as it does to say I know there is a God. I may be wrong about the uh, preposition, but if the amount of faith required for atheism is the same as the faith for belief, then what's the point? One answer could be it frees us to do and be what we want, but that would mean that if we don't even know where consciousness comes from. Um, Or sorry, one answer could be it frees us to do and be what we want, but what would that mean if we don't even know where consciousness comes from, i.e. Sam Harris on free will? I think a truly scientific argument is as long as consciousness is the tool we use to determine the existence of a God, we cannot know if God exists.
4: So I think there's some disagreement around the definition of agnostic versus atheist versus anti-theist. So I think your answer, the answer to this question really just comes down to what you're defining each of those words as. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, well, there's
2: two things. So, yes, atheist is, just, is not a theist. Right. So, so a theist prescribed says uh, Muhammad or Thor or this. And an My impression is, is atheist
4: just, is specific to doctrines. Yes. An atheist says, doesn't make a claim about...
2: so. And, and what you just offered was not necessarily a doctrine, but it was a specific claim of there is an ultimate God
4: and there are these gods and it allows for this. And an atheist would say, I see no proof for that, so not that. And an agnostic would say, I don't know if Jesus rose from the dead. I don't know if Moses yes. parted the Red Sea. Yeah. Because my grandpa and I always talk about this and he, we just have different definitions. He thinks an agnostic is what you said and he well, thinks an agree. atheist is. Then you agree. And that's, Ultimately. we always, we, we bicker and then I go, listen, we're just, we're just defining these words differently. Yeah. Like, whatever, we're on the same page. But my impression is that agnostic just says, I don't know. I don't, maybe Thor is the god of thunder. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And that an atheist says. Take specific claims and says there's not enough evidence, me, so no. Give me your book. I don't believe that one. Yeah. Give me your book. I don't believe that one. And that an anti-theist says there's no possible way that there's anything that can be defined as God outside of our current scientific understanding or something. And I've actually never met an anti-theist. Mm-hmm. But that's my impression of those words. And so depending on how you define the words is probably where you end up falling.
2: Yeah. Um, regarding that it takes much just as much faith to believe, I think... I don't know that that's entirely true because if you substitute God for something else that we don't know, so, you know, that I'll make a particular claim because even your version of God while broad is particular, there are things that it is not. So like if I say, look, it's possible that there are invisible elves behind my head that no one can see. And it takes just as much faith to say that there are not invisible elves behind my head that don't speak as it does to say that there are. So we're both in the same boat. This is one of the, that the burden of proof is on the person saying something right where the atheist stands is like show it to me like give give me some evidence that there are elves like yes there's also no evidence of the absence of elves but i'm you know maybe they're dwarves <laughs> maybe they're kobolds who knows uh, so that uh, this can again come down to semantics but it does not necessarily take as much faith to have an atheistic belief about anything or an A belief about anything, including God, as long as you're making a specific claim, which it sounds like you are. Like, your God is particular.
4: Yeah, um, you're saying, I I claim there's invisible elves behind me. You say, okay, well, by being an atheist, I claim there could be nothing. There could also be invisible dwarves. There could mm-hmm. also be, like, I'm taking every other possibility, and Ex- you're taking there's elves. And so then my question to you is, why do you think there are elves instead of this entire realm of other possibility. Yeah. And so the burden of proof falls to the person making the specific claim.
2: Yes. Um,
4: but there might be, you know. And your definition of agnostic might be the definition of atheist we use. This is, the, this is what I often come to in these conversations. And then
2: I guess there was a question about the, like, so there's two questions. There's, is it true or isn't it true? And then there's a question of, like, is it practical, helpful, useful, right? There was something about, like,
3: what does it do for us to believe in a God or not believe in a God? Right or if yeah if we if we don't know where consciousness comes from then um what would that mean so sorry can you read it again just so i cuz there was yeah. a lot in there yeah um so i may be wrong about the pr- uh preposition but if the amount of faith required for atheism is the same as the faith for belief then what's the point point? one answer could be it frees us to do and be what we want but uh what would that mean if we don't know where consciousness comes from
2: hmm. yeah so i think i think we sort of answered that as that i disagree that it, it takes doesn't justice. take as much faith yeah but it doesn't. And in terms of like, there's always this question is, oh, what, what will happen if we don't believe or what does it allow us to do? And I think that needs to be treated very separately from, is it true? So like, it might be better, the kids might behave better if they believe in Santa Claus. And it might be true that kids who don't believe in Santa Claus go up and commit a bunch of murders and, and uh, pester other children and all sorts of things. But that is se- separate from the claim that Santa Claus comes down your chimney and gives you presents. Uh, so... What it does is a is a, still an interesting question to believe, mm-hmm. but it, it has it has nothing to do with the truth or f- falseness of the of the claim. Um, so yeah, what is what does atheism do? I don't know really. Um, it it opens the possibility for me to find the truth is what it does. Because I'm not saying I'm anti even, I'm just anti any specific claim, but I and I remain open to evidence. So when I do psychedelics and I see stuff, I go, oh damn, like. Maybe this points me in a direction of a deeper understanding of the universe. Um, yeah, but it's not
4: about the pros and cons. Like, like if if it came to be that uh, a world that believed aggressively in a particular religion was just a better world by every that doesn't measure, yeah. that doesn't have any impact on if that religion is accurate or not in their description of the creation of the universe. Yes. Yeah. Um.
3: Next is, so I'm kind of having a mindset problem, which is essentially that I don't want to start new things, which would always make me look bad or stupid. I've always done everything above average or at least better than the people around me, so taking on a new task is difficult, and not being good at something is something that I notice myself avoid. Any tips on overcoming that and having more of an open mind um, and being okay with the fact that I will not always be the best at something new?
2: I, I, I was kind of like this in high school. Like, my identity was that of the kid who got shit easy without working. Mm. So if it would require work, it just would be like, well, then I won't do it.
4: <laughs> as someone that's always been naturally bad at everything and excelled with a lot of work, I can't identify to this question at all. So yeah. I'll let you
2: take it. Uh, I think a, a thing that did somehow shift in me was that I identified not as the person who was had it or was quick, but the person who was... Um, Like there's a certain degree of intelligence required to emotional intelligence or whatever to admit that you're not good at things. And like that was kind of like I sunk my teeth a bit more into that identity. Um, And so for you, you'll have to figure out what like makes you feel good. But this is an identity level issue. Um, And so I would, I'll give you a couple of options because none of these are true of you, but some of these might appeal to you and you'll just go, yes, this is is my new principle that I'll live by. So one is... uh, the most intelligent thing that I can do is suck at stuff, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that's mm-hmm. – and that's the person that I'm going to be. Uh, the person that I'm going to be is the one that doesn't get it at first but gets it right eventually or, or whatever. Um, and I, I'm trying to think of when – it was around college-ish that that sort of shifted and I became – and I shifted from the kid who got everything very easily. to so then I
4: was going to go learn charisma,
2: mm-hmm. which was like the hardest thing yeah. for me on the planet.
4: Well, the shift, the, the thing for me, which it's not really a shift, but it's just the mentality I had. It's like, I don't really care how good I am on day one. Mm-hmm. I just care how good I get. And I'm very confident by working out this, I'm going to get better than almost all of you. And so like, mm-hmm. that was my motivators with basketball or charisma or school. was like, okay, I'm not good day one. This doesn't affect my self-esteem at all. I'm going to crush <laughs> and like got me to being pretty good at mma and mm-hmm. decent at basketball and so f- that was that was the mindset that i had it wasn't really a shift but it's one i might recommend Which is just like yeah take pride in how good you are in the absolute don't compare it like oh your day one is better or worse than this person's day one it's like who cares just work at it and then be good at it and then take the joy of whatever skill you're trying to learn
2: so personal power too is really good for shifting identity level beliefs it's the tony robbins course we've talked about it in the past one of the exercises that is likely I he has several, but um to do, do a pain uh pleasure analysis of your current belief and of a separate belief. So pick the belief that like sounds like it could be the juiciest to you to have. Your current belief is um that you you're really good at stuff day one. And so you write down first like what's all the pleasure you get out of that. And you're like, it makes me feel smart. I feel mm-hmm. better than my friends. I never have to admit that I'm not good at things. Like you want to take an accounting of what you get out of it. Then you want to take an accounting of everything that it costs you. It's like I'm only good at the get to do the things that I want to do. Anything at. I'm not like,
4: good at day one, yeah, I never yeah. get to be and good you, at. And
2: you really want to like beef this one up, like, oh, I'm also not good at that thing that's really valuable to me. So I'll never be good at whatever. And like make it sting. Yeah. yeah. Um, I will
4: never get the person that I desire yeah. dating wise because I'm refuse to improve at this. Yeah, or I, like doing a self I'm gonna lose <laughs> I'm gonna lose every time I do this sport or activity that I care about because I refuse to mm-hmm. let myself try it or yeah. whatever whatever it is, there's going especially if you want to change this i promise that this is holding you back in some way mm-hmm. and to take like a
2: really thorough accounting of, of how it's holding you back and then it's just what what how would that shift if i adopted this new belief like what would my life look like like well in six months i'd probably be way better at just take dating as an example and i'd probably be with someone that i liked and um he runs you through exercises like that that's one of them that are useful for really changing the the beliefs that instruct a lot of behavior so i, I would start there
3: Next is, I'm a recent college graduate that just moved home from Vancouver where I lived for the last five years. While I was in Canada, I joined a fraternity and saw tremendous growth in uh, myself both socially and I'm in my now independent charisma um, and in my own independent charisma. Now I'm back home in Dallas where I'm living with my parents while attending pilot school and I can't help but feel that I'm in a state of personal regression for as long as I'm under my parents' roof. I plan on staying here until I finish training and finding work. I try to branch out as much as I can through the gym, jiu and rec- uh, reconnecting with old friends from high school, but it still doesn't match the level of social interaction that I had when I was in university. Um, my main question is, what steps can I take to be more comfortable with being myself and not feeling like I'm slipping back into being the person that I was before I left for school many years ago?
2: Mm. University is so special for this. It really is just like... You live in a dorm with a bunch of people your age and you walk on a quad with a bunch of people your age and then you go to a class with separate people that you've not met who are also your age and then there's a game so yeah. it, it's uh, there's nothing like it there really isn't and uh, it's you're never going to have an environment that is so conducive to socializing and also like transformation because when you get there, nobody knows who you are.
4: It's also pretty common to regress though if you go back like if you did pilot school. In a new city that wasn't Dallas and wasn't Vancouver, you probably wouldn't mm-hmm. feel yourself regress as much. I think there's a sense that your just your environment can just trigger. Oh yeah, I remember this place. This is how I behave in this place. Yeah,
2: yes. Um, so one, don't sweat it too much. There's things that you can do, but like recognize that what you're experiencing is very, very, very
4: normal. How did you do it? Because in college uh, at American University, you started out shy, then you went to Costa Rica, then you came back, and you didn't revert back mm-hmm. how did you maintain the charismatic improvement you had made in Costa Rica didn't
2: have strong ties at American honestly that was why I had like a handful of friends so like, you didn't have any anchors had very few anchors and they were anchors still you know what I mean like the handful of people that I did know were like didn't really like or get it but um, you just went
4: out and made new friends that didn't know you before
2: uh or that knew me very uh, kind of and when I got back I was like oh we we'll have like a get-together it'll be good to see you and like it wasn't Rat. It was different, but it wasn't like, oh my gosh, you've changed. This is a problem. It was like, oh, this is so cool because I am not attached to you being the way
4: that you used to be. Versus parents.
2: Yes, and I had a handful of friends who didn't like all of a sudden going out to like bars, which I never used to do. I used to just hang out with them and play video games, and that was like, you know, they didn't love that.
4: They found it that.
2: Yeah, they weren't huge fans of that. Um, Did it start with this letter? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and also, there were a handful of people from the study abroad where I was different with them, and they just expected me to be... Oh, so they
4: came them. back to AU a- with you, yeah. and they saw you, and they're like, ah, oh, it's the life of the party guy. Yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, yeah. I mean, hell oh, yeah. So, yeah, that was that was how I did it. Um, Got it. Interesting. So, less
2: applicable. Yeah, less applicable. So, look, when I'm home and I can't cut out, uh, I, kinda, I guess what I would say is it's kind of just like, look, I eat junk food when I'm home, and I try to just put the muscle back on or not the muscle, because <laughs> I try to eat better when I when I get back. So I don't know how long you're going to be in that environment, but it's it's really tough, man. It's really really tough. The things that shift that I have seen shift with my family. It's not that I'm much more charismatic, but that I can be more. Uh, we we have more open and honest conversations. But I'm not like super charismatic, cool, fun party guy. Mm. Um, when I'm with them. So I don't know that that's even what I have experience aiming at. Uh, what I did. Here's what I did. When I found myself in environments where my charisma was dying, like in D.C., I had to leave. Like I I, was like I and I went into my boss's office and told him I hate the way that I'm behaving. It's not your fault. Like I don't like who I am in this city. I need to go live with my friend in New York. And for that reason, I'm out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I guess what I would say is the environment really is critical. Um, and if you don't have the opportunity to see people your age or new people, it's, you're going to have to. Um, so either find a way to do that in the space that you're in, where you do have that ability to socialize or
4: Just double down on getting out of pilot school as quickly as possible. And then I mean, look, move. I was in
2: D- I was in DC for a year and a half, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was visiting Ben as often as I could. I was getting on these, like they wound up being seven hour bus rides to New York city on bolt bus and, and uh, just to, just to have that opportunity to
4: go out for a weekend and remember remember. what it was like to be charismatic.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So yeah, good news, bad news, I guess in that, in my experience there is that there's not like a really easy way to overcome an environment that is really not built for, Mm. for like social growth or socializing.
4: What was the good news? That's the bad news. The good news is you're not doing anything wrong. Mm.
2: You know, you know, change your environment. Um or, you know, and it's okay. It's also okay to like in my experience to spend a year and a half somewhere that's not what you want. <laughs> uh and get I, your pilot's
4: license and then get out, basically. Yeah, and I
2: still would go into the office and try to like I was the friendliest dude in the office and I made friends with the president and at the parties I would be the life of the party and, and I would take the opportunities that I had, but it wasn't that was a big reason why I left was to move to New York and hang out with Ben and work on this stuff that I was not working on in mm.
3: DC.
4: Alright.
3: Last one. Uh what podcast do you guys regularly listen to? Critical Role.
4: Ha
2: <laughs>
3: Yeah. Uh I listen to Dark Horse, which is with Brett Weinstein
2: sometimes. Are there any others? Uh, Joe Rogan clips, now that he's no longer on YouTube, I listen to. I see clips from recently Sagar, who was on Sager and Crystal. Um that's I'm not a huge podcast, I'm more of like a short video guy. Cool. All right. Patreon. Patreon. Let's do it. Do I have to? Oh, if you guys want to come over to Patreon, we have a lot of questions today. Uh, So if you want to see many, much more of Ben and I, that's the place to do it. And you can check us out. So for the rest of you who aren't coming, hope you had a good day.